Joining me in the Late Show Library is Mike Munro to talk about a fascinating new book that he's done called The Last Bush Rangers, uh, out through HarperCollins. Mike, hello, how are you? I'm well, Kevin, you? I'm really well, thanks, and I'm really excited to talk to you about this book because it is one hell of a story. It, it, it is amazing. It, it really is an incredible story. Um, you know, if you can, if you can just listen, if you can place yourself in a position of, at age 30, realising your name is not what your name is supposed to be, your surname is different, you then go away and you search for 25 years, which culminates in going to the murder site of your great-uncles who killed a policeman and a station manager and find something with an expert team of archaeologists that was last handled by them that lay under the soil, four inches under the soil for 110 years. That's that's basically it in a nutshell. It is that's staggering, though, absolutely staggering. So tell tell us how this this played out for you, because it, it it kind of almost started like on your on your literally your dad's deathbed. Well, it did, and even before then, I, mean, I grew up in a monastery. My mum was a housekeeper for twelve Maris brothers, and um, and as well intentioned and as a good as good a woman as she was, uh, she became a tragic tragic alcoholic, and all through my childhood. Um, teens and even into adulthood she would often say to me when she was drinking oh you're only from a family of murderers and bush rangers anyway and i just thought that was just another form of of abuse that yeah. mum would often call me um and it just sort of went over my head and then at age 30 my father was uh, passing away I, I had never been very close to him um he was a modern day bush ranger himself he was the nephew of these last bush rangers my great uncles yeah and um, he said, I've got a terrible secret to tell you. And I said, oh, geez, if you've got a terrible secret, it must be really bad. <laughs> yes. And I thought, here come the half-brothers and half-sisters, I bet. And it wasn't. It was the fact that our name wasn't Munro. I had to first digest that. And he said, because my father, you know, Dad is saying, in other words, my my grandfather um, was the, had the same name as Patrick Kenneth, K-E-W-N-I-F-F. Yep. Um, and his brother Jimmy, both of whom were convicted to hang in Boggo Road Jail in 1902 for killing the policeman, the station manager, and my grandfather, who was also Patrick Kenneth, because everyone, you know, all the older boys were called Patrick back then, um, changed his name overnight illegally to Henry Munro. Uh, why Henry Munro, we'll never know. He had five children with, uh, with his wife, the youngest of whom was my father. And they all grew up illegally Munro until my grandfather died and the death certificate was issued in the name of Munro. Fifty years later, Mum was still so ashamed of the history um, that I was to be baptised Michael Kenniff after the Bush Rangers. I'm glad I wasn't um, because I certainly, this book does not go out to glorify them at all or yeah. defend them. And Mum was so ashamed, whispered to the priest, oh, sorry, Father, it's supposed to be Kenneth. So I'm boring old, and I hope I'm not um, insulting any of your, your good listeners, but I'm, I'm sort of boring Michael Kenneth Munro. Yeah. And um, so, so that was it. So once Dad told me the story, I then started – I didn't believe it for a start because I never believed a lot he told me and because um, and, I never grew up with him and saw him once or twice a year outside school because Mum would have nothing to do with him. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I started to research Jimmy and Paddy Kenneth, who, who really came from the Carnarvon Rangers, up around Toowoomba, Roma, Mitchell, Springshaw, um, having having come out from Tipperary, the family, and then uh, and then being busted by cops as, as cattle thieves and horse thieves, they moved into South Central Queensland where there were no fences. They loved having no fences. 
So uh, they then became cattle thieves and horse thieves up around there until until the, the wealthy pastoralists had had enough of the Kenneth gang and um, and sent uh, Constable George Doyle and Station Manager Albert Dalkey after them to uh, to finish their reign. And uh, they're the two men that they killed, obviously. They are. They went in. They went into a, a very lonely, um, isolated spot in the Carnarvon Ranges called Lethbridge's Pocket, yep. which was a particular spot that the Kenneth used to hide stolen cattle and breed them. So they would then kill the branded cattle and then brand the new the, the calves with their own brand. Um, and the pocket was basically a perfect grazing area hidden by hills with a creek on one side. Um, and they were unbelievable cattlemen. They were, they were amazing horsemen. They could, they could steal any thoroughbred, make any horse jump any fence, um, and never travel without at least uh, two top-class thoroughbreds that they had stolen. So it was very hard for the police uh, to ever catch them because they were always riding second-class uh, second horses. Yep. And the only reason, so the, so the posse was, was, was those two men plus an Aboriginal tracker. Sam Johnson and the three of them rode into the pocket on Easter Sunday, 1902. And the only reason they caught Jimmy because they saw they saw Paddy Jimmy and the younger brother. There were five tenants in the area on the day: the old man who was a nasty piece of work, um, and then four sons. But Jimmy and Paddy were the main uh, uh, the main problem for the pastoralists. They separated immediately. They saw the police posse, as their father always told them to do, to go in different directions. And the only reason they were able to catch Jimmy uh, is because Albert Dalkey was also a superb horseman who was riding a thoroughbred, and they brought Jimmy down. And of course, you know, like you need to get a, you have to get a car thief behind, away from the wheel of the Lamborghini or the Aston Martin. Yeah. They had to get Jimmy Kenneth off the horse, and they did. Um, and uh, Sam Johnson was sent back to the pack horse after he let go of the pack horse when the chase began. And he was about 200 metres away when he heard five shots ring out. And Sam Johnson then became a, a famous name throughout Queensland as the ear witness. He never saw anything, but he heard the five shots ring out. And, uh, and uh, Constable Doyle and Albert Dalkey were never seen alive again. And, uh, and, and we're pretty sure that Sam Johnson took off the moment he heard the, uh, the shots. Otherwise, he would have been run down by whoever did do the shooting. Yep. Because if the police were on nags, you can imagine what sort of horses they gave the Aboriginal trackers. Yeah. Um, so he would have had no chance of outrunning the Kenneths. So he became, he, the other thing to this story is he became the first Aboriginal in legal history to lead to the conviction and hanging of a white European uh, in, in Australian legal history. Wow. So that became very controversial. And, and in turn, that sort of led to uh, the huge question of capital punishment uh, in Queensland, just after Federation, so it's yeah, it's it, it, so I've you know been researching it for 25, 30 years, Kevin. So, so as a journalist, which is what you are, you, that story is a fascinating, brilliant, you know, ripping yarn, a ripping it yarn. Is. But it really is. As someone who's inserted into it because it's your your kin, um, there's obviously a real different feeling about pursuing that story. I suppose. Look, I, I, I think so. Um, I, you know, I spoke to Sixty Minutes recently, my old colleagues, and um, you know, they, 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 you know, I suppose they, they put it in my mind that it really has been a, an obsession of mine to tell their story. Um, 
not not to defend them, not to justify them. Yeah, it's They're not a vindication by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's just it's just a great yarn, as you say, and I'm. And, and, and yes, and, and it is a personal story as well. So it's, it's, it's really got everything. It's got the villains. It's got the murders. It, it, was, it was ghastly because not only did they kill these two guys, but they threw them on a bonfire. Oh, God. And then broke their bodies up and left them left 200 pounds of flesh and bone in police saddlebags. And that was a big jump. No one, to this day, no one can really understand how they made that gigantic leap from cattle duffing and horse theft to murder and mutilation, but they did. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's, still, it's still a bone of contention up around south-central Queensland whether, whether the right man was hanged. Paddy Patrick Kenneth was hanged as the, as the eldest brother. Yep. Some people think he took, the, he took the blame for his father and one of the younger brothers, or whether it was Jimmy when he was off the horse, um, or whether it was the father and another younger brother as... as uh, as an Aboriginal elder, handed down by Sam Johnson, the Aboriginal tracker, um, has told me. So it'll be talked about. It's been talked about for 115 years now, and I'm yeah. sure it'll still be talked about in another century. And you, you mentioned Bogger Road earlier too, and uh, which is obviously where the, where the hanging took place. Uh, mm-hmm. The famous, famous Queensland jail, and uh, I mean every bit as famous in Queensland as Pentridge is in Victoria. That's right, or uh, you know, or, or Long Bay or Parramatta yeah. Jail, isn't it? In Sydney, and 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 a, and a cold, scary oh, old horrible place. Horrible job. Yeah, he's, oh, you've been there, and and that's where that's where Patrick was hanged. So so they they were both they were both went to trial for the murder of the of the men, and then not that, but then it was a collision. Their trial became a collision of very very famous people. So Samuel Griffith, who is the, like the founding father of Federation in Australia, was Sir Henry Parks was the Chief Justice of Queensland at the time and became their trial judge. It was just after Federation. So Samuel Griffith was not going to have a Ben Hall or a Ned Kelly uh, on his hands and wanted Queensland to become the most civil of civil societies and, and to prove to New South Wales and Victoria that Queensland could be uh, become just as civilised as, as, as they. And he wanted to convict them uh, for sure. And... and, and Someone was guilty, but but it, there was a lot of circumstantial evidence because there were no eyewitnesses, yeah. and the Kenneths uh, denied it right to Paddy going to the gallows. Then there was an appeal, um, and and Sir Samuel Griffiths, who who was Chief Justice, who had been Premier twice in Queensland, was probably what probably the most powerful man in the state, um, announced to everyone that he was going to sit on the appeal with the other three judges which today there'd be absolute outrage among <laughs> the legal fraternity. And he did. Um, and he could, but he had to sit uh, mute and say nothing as the trial judge, who had also said to the jury, I praise you, I think you've absolutely made the wrong, the right decision in convicting these two men and, and, and I'm going to hang them. But then came the other aspect of the story of the pastors versus the poor selectors, the Catholics versus the Protestants, um, the us and the them. It was, it was a, the, the worst drought in Queensland history was unfolding. Uh, people people were starving and, and moving in from the country to the city. Uh, there were a lot of uh, a lot of social upheaval. And and of the three judges on the appeal, two were from absolute blue blue blood British establishment, but the third was a former railway worker and an Irishman, oh. and he held out to not have the younger brother Jimmy convicted 
because he was off his horse, uh, he was unarmed, he, had, he could not be hanged. He could only be jailed as an accessory. And there was much toing and throwing, particularly through uh, between um, Justice Real, the Irish guy, and Sir Samuel Griffith. So it became a very, very famous trial oh. over over an Aboriginal um, a, a fingering two white guys yeah. over over capital punishment and over over the fact that that, that the trial itself um, had a real smell about it. Um, it's fascinating, layer upon layer upon layer. Uh, one to ask you: the, the, there was obviously a shame with you, with your, with your dad and your mum, and 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 how this sort of uh, hung over the family. Did did how did you deal with that as you were going through and and unearthing all these different layers of this story? Well, look, by then, um, by the time I found out, my my mum had passed away, and uh, and and my father passed away not long after he told me. So you know, they they died when I was. 30, so both of them, I lost both of them um, relatively young. Uh, Mum through alcoholism and, and, and dad, well, dad through alcoholism too probably. Yeah. But um, so I had no I had no qualms about it at all. The journalists took over. I, I, there'd, be, there'd be certainly dad's generation of brothers and sisters would be horrified to think that, uh, that the story's being told as widely as it is now. And I think back then it was a different time. In my grandfather's time, you know, it, it, it was something to be ashamed of, uh, having a cop killer in the family. I think then, then my father's generation had been told by their, by my grandfather that, that this was a terrible thing, never to be discussed. And they, the kid, those kids got a clip over the ear if the tennis were ever mentioned or oh. they ever told that their name wasn't, wasn't Munro. Then, of course, by, you know, our generation now, you know, we, we, we embrace the fact that we might come from convicts or, or bush rangers. Um, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not proud of what they did. I'm not, um, but I, but I do think a, as a journalist, it's a fantastic story. And b, whatever you think, it's a part of, it's a wonderful part of our colonial history because you know they were the last bushrangers of a of an era that lasted over a century. Our bushrangers. Yeah, jeez, amazing, absolutely it, amazing story. And then of course we, and then and then I've always wanted to tell the story so. We, we uh, not, not too long ago, I did a, um, a documentary series uh, with with the History Channel and Foxtel, yep. and and uh, a wonderful uh, production company uh, in Melbourne called Gene Pool uh, had the idea of, of not only telling the Bushranger stories but going to the sites with archaeologists and forensic pathologists and historians, and and basically going to Stringy Bark Creek where where Ned Kelly. Uh, initially killed the, uh, the, the or murdered, cold-bloodedly murdered the three policemen before the Glen Rowan siege, yeah. to going to where Ben Hall had a shootout uh, where, where eight police mowed him down, and we're not sure, but we think he might have been unarmed, to Captain Moonlight shootout in New South Wales between his uh, five gang members and ten policemen, and we went digging at these sites. And the fourth part of the series, was Jimmy and Paddy Kenneth, who were not all that well known uh, as, as Ben Hall and Kelly and Captain Moonlight, but we went digging at these shootout sites, and what we found was just incredible. So for me to go into the Carnarvon Ranges with these guys who, you know, who, who you know, conducted digs at Palmyra, all through the Middle East, uh, um, even Glen Rowan, you know, the, um, uh, Adam Ford, who was the archaeologist, had, had, had made digs in uh, Glen Rowan in the hotel. So for me to be able to then find and hold something that was last handled by these great uncles of mine, wow. 
that lay just under the soil for 115 years was, I mean, it just gives me goosebumps when I think about it. I was going to say that's spooky, isn't it? That really is spooky. Yeah, yeah, and it and it was and it was all confirmed uh, by uh, by the Victorian uh, Forensics Laboratory um, and by the Victoria Police, who were fabulous, uh, who were wonderful uh, with helping us out with all the bullets and and all the remnants and artifacts that we found at all these these four shootout sites, but uh, um, confirmed that that what we found in relation to my great uncles matched perfectly with the time with what they were carrying, etc. I won't, if you don't mind, I won't, I won't spoil the ending of the book. No. But, uh, but it was, uh, it was just, it was just amazing to be able to hold this thing for the first time in all those years, knowing that, um, that this was last handled by, by, you know, one of my, of my great uncles. Um, yeah, it, 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 incredible. Was it a relief to finish the book and, and to, to, to put a full stop to the story? Yeah, it was. Look, it was, and and look, I wrote an autobiography um, about fifteen years ago, Kevin. You and, pasty and, face, nothing. Yes, you did. That's it. <laughs> With what my what my mum used to call me when she'd been drinking. You know, you're you're nothing. You'll never amount to anything. You're nothing but a pasty face, nothing. Yeah. Um, and that was not a pleasant experience. I yeah. I, I didn't enjoy writing. with too many too many poor memories. But um, but this I loved because you know the the journalist, the research. All the pages of the, the Brisbane Supreme Court and their trial and their appeal and that all kicked in and you know because I'd interviewed people I, I I was going back to interviews that I had done um, twenty five years ago that I still had tucked away with people who had met the Kenneths as as young boys oh, wow. who when I interviewed them were already seventy five and eighty um, that that I incorporate into uh, into the book so just bringing all this research together was 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 just fabulous so i i really enjoyed the process it was it was a lot of fun so from go to woe how long a project was this well you know i mean i, I was i was sort of 30 when when dad told me i researched and I, I was i was then working at 60 minutes so i was going through ireland quite a bit uh, covering um the the um, riots in belfast dodging rubber bullets and burning cars and Stones being thrown across, the, you know, from Protestants to Catholics and vice versa. So I, when I had a spare moment, I would duck into Trinity College in Dublin when I when I went down to the Republic out of Northern Ireland, and um, and I started to research the Kenneths, who initially um, were the Kenneths. So even none of them could read and write. So when they moved from Tipperary in the 1860s, the family they were initially Cunef, C U double N I double F E. But because none of them can read and write when they were being busted by the cops initially, they'd say, what's your name? Oh, Paddy Kniff. Paddy, how do you spell that? I don't know. We don't read and write. <laughs> so, so Kniff became Kenneth, K-E-N-N-I-F-F, oh, which was a bastardized spelling anyway. So my family, my, my dad and, and my grandfather, they would never have even known this. Jeez. <laughs> so they, were always, they always thought they were Kenneths from, from Tipperary, but really they were Kniffs. From Tipperary, and uh, so I traced them back to their land, the land they worked for sixpence a year, and back in back in the eighteen sixties, and they were all trying to escape the, the, the potato famine when um, you know when the British treated the, the poor Irish so badly all through the eighteen forties and eighteen fifties, and starving them to death, take, yeah. kicking them out of their homes and and treating them so so very badly. So um, you know, and I'm you know I'm very sympathetic to, to the Irish cause, but 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 certainly not to. Uh, not to not to these bush rangers at all. They, they they were not 
good men and they uh, they may have looked after the locals up there. They may have been very popular among the people that they helped feed and, and they were very friendly with all the, the Aborigines who taught them how to live in the bush and how to, how to survive on bush tucker and, and where some of the best hideouts were, how to tell if the police were tra- uh, tracking them, etc. Um, but uh, but really deep down they were they were not good men, particularly the father. Uh, old man, they called him old man Kenneth. He was he was a real nasty piece of work. The uh, there's there's something cathartic for a lot of people in in going back and discovering your roots and, and tracing your family tree and doing all that. And people have said that it's changed their lives. Did you have that experience doing this? Did 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 it change kind of the way you felt about your heritage and and what you'd been told and then what you discovered? Um, well, look, because I'd known about it for so long. Um, not really. I just enjoyed the process as a journalist. Um, you know, having said that, it won't be, you know, a lot of my journalistic colleagues won't be the least bit surprised to know that I'm related to murderers and bush rangers. <laughs> uh, uh, um, having said that, um, yeah, look, I, you know, I don't think it changed me that much. Yeah. It makes me sort of understand a little bit why I've always been sort of, you know, out there, I'd like to think out there for the battlers and, and helping and helping the downtrodden, but that's also because I came from fairly humble backgrounds, my yeah. background myself. So, um, yeah, look, you know, it helps. You. I, I, it does. It does help you understand yourself. It certainly helped me understand my father because when he told me, I mean, his eyes lit up. He, you know, these guys were heroes to him. Oh, okay. he, he, and he he didn't know anything compared to what what I had known. But he but he said they could ride any horse, and they disappeared in the hole in the wall. We all knew that they could get away from the police so easily. Well, that turned out to be, he had no idea, but that turned out to be a legendary cave up in the Carnarvon Ranges called Kenneth Cave, where they could literally ride their horses into the cave, hide the horses under a lip, over a gorge, um, disappear completely uh, under complete shelter and still have, we think we estimate at least 30 or 40 different escape uh, escape routes that ran 100 metres into the granite side of a mountain. Good God. It was a fabulous... Oh, look, <laughs> to stand in front of this cave is, is just unbelievable. It was just the most perfect hideout that you could ever imagine. Wow. Jeez, that's, uh, it's quite it's staggering. Uh, the depth of the story is, uh, is absolutely staggering. It really is. Yeah. It was no, a pleasure to tell, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, you must have got a real, a real... There must be a real sense of satisfaction that this story is now out there. Well, that and, and you know, and, and you know, I, I think really that, you know, as we call the book, The Last Bush Rangers, I think, I think people, I'm hoping that people will see, well, you know, it is our colonial history. You know, let's read the full stop. Let's read the full stop to our last colonial history of the Bush Rangers. And it's, there is certainly my personal side of it, but really the book is about them, their, their, their life, their, their, their theft, their murders, their manhunt. The manhunt went on for three months. Wow. They could hide out in the bush, one of the biggest manhunts in Queensland history, but they could still stay hidden for three months because they knew the bush so well. And then their capture and, and their trial and appeal and, and final, and Patrick was finally hanged in uh, in 1903. But, um, and Jimmy, Jimmy lived till, till he was almost 70. Okay. So really, he was the probably the last bush ranger who was still alive in 1940. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. Amazing. So, uh, but, so but it became a recluse. He was a recluse, tin miner, opal miner, died in Charles Towers, and never, ever, all through his life, ever divulged what truly happened, except to say they hanged the wrong man. 
Oh, wow. Gee whiz. Mm, mm. So uh, it's a great whodunit too, yeah, Kevin. It's, a, it's an amazing whodunit. But you, people, you know, but you'll come away from the book thinking, well, you know, and that's that, that's that makes it even more fascinating. Uh, so, given all that, have you got another book in you? You know, people ask me that after a pasty face, nothing. Yeah, and I said, no, no. Look, that's you know, I don't, I don't really think I'll, I'd ever really do another book. Um, and I, you know, I don't know. I've I've toyed with uh, who killed journalism. I have, I've, I've killed, I've, geez, I've toyed with the, the geez, title a, of Who that, Killed Journalism. That's a big book. That'd be a big book and <laughs> and really, dis, you know, disappointing. I'm, I'm really disillusioned about where we are with journalism and, you know, it's, um, it's you know, being, it's really run by being counters and lawyers these yeah, days. Um, absolutely. Where in my day, I, I had, you know, journalists who were in charge and, and a wonderful bloke called Kerry Packer who, who loved television and who, who defended our right to, you know, to go after villains and et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and the wrongs of being committed by politicians and and, and other corrupt people. But, uh, you know, I'm afraid, the, you know, the bean counters, the bush and the... Um, the bush rangers, the bean counters, and the lawyers have taken over. <laughs> well, they are the modern day bush rangers in many ways. I suppose they are. That's true. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, well, look, it's been fascinating talking to you about this book. I think it's a, I think it's a, a ripping yarn. It's a great story, and uh, uh, the, the old inserting yourself into a story is not generally something that uh, is is admired. But you've you've had to do it in this case, and uh, and you've done it really really well. Uh, congratulations no, on the book. And, no, and thank, thanks so much for your time. No, thanks very much for having me, Kevin. Thanks for your support.